The Raw Rugby Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Raw Rugby Podcast. I'm Brett McKay. We're back for another week thanks to the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate and your home of the biggest and best rugby discussion kicking around. Uh, and a huge thanks to everyone who tuned in to last week's debut episode. It was great to hear from so many of you via the socials or on the site last week, and more so to hear that so many of you enjoyed it. It tells us that we might be onto a good thing every Wednesday on the Raw Plus, wherever you get your podcasts. Joining me once again, as he will every week, is my enthusiastic co-host, Rassigate advisor, wordsmith, and prolific WhatsApp messenger, Harry Jones. Hello, mate. How are you? How's it, Brett? Uh, actually, I want to introduce you this Go week. Go on then. Go on then. All right. Right The grinder, the finder of balls, the fifth generation minder, the pride <laughs> and the glory of Scotland and Canberra. <laughs> Brett, the late law <laughs> Uh, nice. I, I always wanted. I always wanted to do that because you're introducing me. I want to introduce you. But yeah. that's probably my last time. It was no very. Way. It was very UFC. I've got to say. It was. It was very UFC. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Um, this weekend saw Super Rugby kick off in well a style of sorts with closed doors in New Zealand's and monsoonal rain in Australia. It was wins to the New South Wales Waratahs on Friday night over the Fijian in Drua, uh, to the Chiefs and the Crusaders over the Tasman on Saturday afternoon, followed by the Queensland Reds outfloating the Melbourne Rebels. On Sunday, the Brumbies found a late try from who knows where to overcome the Western Force. And let me tell you, you had to be pretty sharp to find five winners this weekend. <laughs> uh, so much to talk about, Harry <laughs> Let's get into it um, and welcome another very special guest. The Raw Rugby Podcast. It's another case of only the best for the third chair in this episode of the Raw Rugby Podcast. And you're in for a bit of a treat here, Harry, because if anything major has happened in Australian rugby over the last 30 plus years, there's a fair chance this man was here for it. After a long and distinguished career with News Limited, and in particular the Courier Mail in Brisbane, but he's now telling great stories on the Raw and rugby.com.au, plus playing obscene amounts of golf. Please welcome the one and only Jim Tucker. <laughs> Thanks, Brett, and uh, great to meet you, Harry. I read your bio, Jim, and it's, every time I see your bio, it says Craggy. Uh, so I wanted to <laughs> welcome you to this Craggy podcast, and, and I'm also a Crag, so we're fellow Crags together. Uh, that's, that's great. Well, I, they, they asked me to write a bio, so I thought, okay, you've got you to take the fun out of yourself. So, yeah, I, I wrote Craggy myself. So, <laughs> there you go. So, you, so you're, you're self-Cragged. Jim. Self-crack. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. That's really good. Right, Super Rugby round two. Uh, it was a good one. There were some great tries. Here's a couple right now. It bounces, goes blindside. Oh! Thought they were going to the right. They went to the left. And Peter Gus, so a cooler, scores the try for the Chief. On again. Wallaceo, good hands from the Brumbies. He's Banks getting on the outside. Samu to Tom Wright. Tom Wright looking inside. And Lachlan Lonigan scores for the Brumbies. Unbelievable finish here in the nation's capital. Simple question for you. What stood out for both of you in round one? Jim, take it away from you, for you from your perspective. 
Well, I think it was individual players rather than uh, team performances mostly. Uh, really excited to see Harry Wilson come back in a different shape of body, um, also look fitter and 16 runs. And he decided the game really with some really classy touches, that inspector gadget arm that came through and uh, <laughs> scored that try. Like he's a really clever player, Harry Wilson, and finds a way close to the line, which is a skill in itself really imposed himself on the game. Um, and we can go through as a bit later on just some of the other standouts. I thought mm. Tom Banks did really well for the Brumbies. Some footwork. Everyone talks about the Lonigan try, but flick back a bit and it was Banks just shifting those feet to beat a defender and creating that uh, overlap on the right-hand side. So um, I, I really like the the Tom Banks start and that fullback conversation is going to be huge this year with Curly Beal coming back and uh, Hodge mm. dropping high balls up at some court that wasn't his best start. So that, that's a little bit of a take on uh, some of the things that grabbed me straight away. Mm, yeah, Jock Campbell um, is yes, certainly exactly. putting himself in that conversation, isn't he? Uh, Harry, I, I know I know another Australian number eight sort of tickled your fancy this weekend. Oh, yeah. And by the way, I just want to point out, this is a big step up from Jeff Parks last week. Uh, yeah, no, it is. Uh, Jim Tucker is we should bringing it that. today. Yeah. yeah. Great the analysis stuff. is uh, astute. Uh, Will Harris, uh, this mm. young kid uh, for the Waratahs, he's got the uh, proper number eight body. Uh, but to me, more importantly, he sees the game, which I think is very difficult to coach or teach. You, you see it or you don't. The lines he was running, a little bit resembling uh, Alex Donbrandt mm. uh, up north. And uh, also the, in, in the same way, maybe still has a, an ability to gain another gear. I think he's still growing into his body, but he, he looks a proper eight. Yeah. So now you have Australia having, having two eights, and the rest of the world's looking for one. I've been I've been keeping an eye on Will Harris um, for a couple of years. He first sort of came to this level as a you know, as an eighteen year old. You know, almost still pretty much first year out of school. He's playing first grade for Easts. He's playing NRC mm. for New South Wales country. Spent a lot of his first year of first grade for East. Spent a lot of the year playing playing lock and just getting used to to playing. To, to running line out, but he's grown into his body now and, and he was always going to be a number eight. He he pushed from memory, Jimmy, you'll correct me on this. He pushed Harry Wilson to six in that famed junior wallabies squad, didn't he? Will Harris played eight and Harry Wilson went to six. Yeah, they, they fit uh they fitted both into the back row. Uh, mm. that's very astute of you, Harry. I, I really think one of the real desperate parts of Australian rugby since Todd Kefu left the game. And we're talking nearly 20 years ago. Mm. Australia has struggled to have a world-class, influential number eight. I'm not talking about a really good number eight like David Lyons and, and players like that. They, they, they were terrific. But you, you need an influential number eight who can just change the course of a game. And that's not a David Pocock playing number eight. It's not George Smith playing number eight. It's someone who is a legitimate number eight. And I'd throw in Tim Anstey as well. He's added yeah. eight kgs to his frame, and he's explosive. You give him a pass, and that next half step is explosive, and he's away. And, and yeah. that's a really good element uh, for a number eight. And he, he's packed on that weight during the off-season to give himself a bit more explosive power, also to shift a few bodies at uh, rucks and malls because he, he was a sevens player, and he was playing in a sevens body. So um, I think that's a, a really good development for Australian rugby, and it'll pay off over the next couple of years. And and Harris is a really good one. Oh, I saw that's a great, that's a great shot, Jim. And, and, I, and I also think uh, I'd be remiss in not uh, bringing up 
explosive power of Taniela Tupo, the Tongan Thor. Uh, we've established that he, he's a 14 laid law player. So that's 14 laid laws in their prime when it would take to take him down. Mm. But this profound round mound of sound around rugby ground and pound was carded, went to a little tiny chair, Tunkul. <laughs> I mean, pound for pound, this guy's got a lot of pounds. And he sits on this naughty board chair at the Suncorp, which must be from Kindy around the corner. And are you kidding me? This chair was groaning and moaning. It was like it was a scrum mm. engagement. I mean, he paused, he looked at the chair, he touched it, he crouched, he engaged, and the chair was moaning and groaning. I'm telling you, some joker got this from somewhere, but I could not <laughs> believe Daniela Topo's one cheap chair. We need better chairs at Suncorp. That's, um... yeah, that's, that's a good point. I, I think um, Bill Beaumont will take that one up. Far better uh, <laughs> chairs on the sideline in the, uh, yeah. the yellow card corner. Just, they, just, they just grow short chairs. In Queensland, that's just how it is. That's just how it is. Oh, here just, we go. Here we go. Just, just want to go back to Tim Anstey because I saw him up close uh, on Sunday in Canberra uh, down on the sideline for ABC Sport, and he walked past me as they as they finished their warm up. And the first thing I noticed, Jim, was that you have definitely put on size, and he, and he and you said it perfectly. He now looks like a fifteens number eight, and not just a a, a really mobile sevens forward. I, I'm really excited for what he could do this year. I think he's going to be really special. Suddenly, though, it's it feels like it's raining fly halves in Australia as well. Ben Donaldson was great for the Waratahs. Uh, Carter Gordon showed. Some glimpses, I think, for the Melbourne Rebels. Rajan Pasatoa in his starting debut, we should mention, was was really good for the for the Force. Um, you know, Noel see I was strong for the for the Brumbies. James O'Connor, we all know what we can he, he can do. Could this be the golden the start of the golden era, Jim? We're, we're actually going to have you know a, a genuine crop of tens to pick from soon. I think it's the start. Um, definitely not the middle. Like all these guys are at their very formative stages. Yeah, Carter Gordon had a. A lot of trumpeting about his arrival, and he spilled the first pill uh, behind his own goal line. Yeah. And probably mentally that put you on the wrong foot, and he didn't really bounce back from that for a while because they were difficult conditions. You, you really want to go with things on the front foot, and it's it's that sort of cricketer's mentality where you, you play and miss five times in a row, and the sixth ball is still, I'm starting again. So mm. you want to fly half, you can shed all that uh, stuff and just move on into the game. I thought Pasatoa was really um, encouraging yeah. the way he did that. Didn't take on too much, but took on the line a little bit. Uh, he fed players outside him uh, nicely. And when Kunzel went off, he wasn't uh, flustered. Mm. So I, I thought that was uh, a good sign there. I thought Donaldson was was above probably the both of those uh, two players, just with um, able to not have to do too much. Like the Waratahs' game plan was to keep keep it fairly narrow and not do dumb stuff out near the wing mm. and have turnovers out there. So he kept it fairly narrow, and that that was a, a sign of him being intelligent as a mm. game manager. And you want to, apart from all the skills, they've all got the skills. You just want to see intelligence just flowing out of yeah. out of their brains um, in in all situations. Yeah, it was good to see. Pa- Pasatella, I, I mentioned on the site um, on Tuesday, the force were fairly clearly playing off Bailey Kernsel at 12 and, and, and Kyle Godman's carrying outside him. So Pasatoa was sort of playing a distributing game, but he gave Kernsel the width 
to run at the inside shoulder of Eros Simona. He's, he sort of split the Brumbies' centres there at d- different points. Um, and, and it's a shame that he went off before half-time, Bailey Kernsville, because his debut against his for his new club against his old club was, was pretty strong at 12 as well. Harry, what about from the from the Kiwis? What um, what stood out for you? What, what, what surprised you, I suppose, from round one? Um, probably not a surprise that Brody is back, but it was good to see. Um, How's his offload? Except- the savage beauty of Brody Vitalik. He's, oh. uh, yeah, he's different. I think the lineout still needs sorting, but mm. the, you know, he was a playmaker out there. Uh, Jordy never left. He seemed like the, the yeah. raccoon is still banging over uh, from <laughs> everywhere. He didn't find a barber um, over the summer, did he? Right. Another, another Ioni, Josh, uh, for yeah. the Chiefs at 10. Speaking of 10s. And I agree with you on Ben Donaldson, by the way. I thought that guy was uh, super calm in class. Mm-hmm. But um, I think Josh Ioni is, is looking good. Um, a prop, a proper prop for the for um, the Chiefs, Ollie Norris. I thought yeah. he was really good. So, and that's one of the, I mean, the, the tight five is where New Zealand really needs to step up to, to rejoin uh, the top guys. Um, as far as, you know, the number one, discussion point and maybe we're going there but the hur- is hurdling legal you know the chief number eight the yeah. guys going over Aaron well let's, let's, uh, that let's was touch difficult on for me uh, yeah let's let's touch on this a little bit I didn't have any issue with it at the time live and it wasn't until maybe you know an hour or two after it that I started seeing a little bit of conversation about whether it's legal or not and I have to admit I didn't actually realize that it was illegal but it is so I think it's complicated. Apparently, it's not illegal to actually do the motion itself. You're allowed to avoid a tackle in whatever way you want. It's that it could be deemed dangerous in the way that you do it, if this makes a nuance. So, so I, I hurdle you. You're doing your laid law. You know, five of yeah. you come and tackle me. Yeah. I jump. If I jump with my knee, yeah. you know, such a way that, it's impossible for you to avoid, then I might be guilty of foul play. If, like uh, Peter Gus did, I just, I'm like a matador. I, mean, I just, just sail just, through. Just clear uh, it. And miss everything. It's fine. It, it was almost, Jim, like the, the the famous New South Wales country up the jumper try back in the 70s. It looks great at the time, but yeah, it might actually be illegal. He up the jumper try. It was it's one of the classics of Australian rugby. You know how hard it is to think of something different in any sport, and that was completely off the wall, outstanding at Milner Field, and uh, yeah, one of the classics of well, rugby. For the for the benefit of our of our South African Texan here, and and perhaps for for anyone listening who's um, who might be a bit younger than all of us, frankly, talk us through your memories of, the, of that fight. We're talking oh, nineteen seventy five, aren't we? Um, uh, literally a, a tap penalty. Uh, all the players from New South Wales country with their backs to uh, the Sydney side and everyone motioned as if they had a baby up their jumper and everyone scattered in all different directions. So you had Sydney players going, where the hell is that? Is the egg? <laughs> and they went all different ways. And then uh, the guy that had the ball over the try line. And they, so, and they, and they, and they ruled some ridiculous thing like obstruction or uh, yeah. Unfair play or some, some something like that, but it was an absolute classic. And and the IRB came down on it within oh, weeks, didn't they? Course. Yeah, straight real, struck it struck it out of the law book. So look, it was it was a it's a great piece of uh, of Australian rugby history. There is plenty coming up 
again this weekend. Let's let's take a look ahead. Rugby on the Raw. Guys, Moana Pacifica have had a second game postponed, unfortunately. They're still yet to make their debut in Super Rugby Pacific. Uh, the New Zealand Rugby announced on Tuesday morning that the match against the Chiefs, which had already been moved to Sunday, now won't go ahead. Um, but it's now a bit of a question of timing, isn't it? If if between Tuesday and Sunday there's not enough time to prepare, I guess the question now becomes how and when are these two postponed games going to going to play? And I had a little bit of a look at the at the draw because all teams this year will have a bye between round seven and round nine. But in round seven, the Chiefs have the bye, and then the Blues and Moana Pacifica play each other. In round eight, Moana Pacifica have the bye, the Blues play the Chiefs. And yes, in round nine, the Blues have the bye and the Moana Pacifica and the Chiefs play each other. So we can't slot an extra game in there because they're already playing each other. Um, and I'm fascinated to see what you guys think as to when this can happen. Because if there's not enough time between Tuesday and Sunday, then we certainly can't be talking midweek games, can we? Harry, how are, you're the you're, you're the brains of the operation here. How how, how do we fix this? Where are we going to slot these games in now? Jeez, I need an algorithm. I mean, it <laughs> sounds like sounds like to me that Moana is going to have to borrow some players from somebody. And this is going to happen again. This will happen maybe even uh, worse because the, uh, the Omicron variant, isn't it kind of sweeping through uh, New Zealand, the mm. home kingdom, uh, a little bit after everyone else. So I, I think this is going to happen again and again. They have to have some kind of um, backup system. If it's just rescheduling, we're going to run into a big mess very quickly. Um, and the integrity of the competition will be disturbed. Yeah. yeah. Jim, how are, we, how are we going to solve this, do you think? Well, I think the issue with Moana Pacifica for this game particularly was they've been isolated and they haven't had enough time to have their return to training mm. protocols and whatever. And uh, Rather than um, like a type five days, they just hadn't done enough physical yep. uh, type stuff. I think as the competition goes on, it'll be just like the NBA and the NFL. You have four guys down with COVID five days before the game. You just find players yeah. and you have to play. The show must go on. Um, otherwise, it, it just comes to a crashing halt. I think with uh, Moana Pacifica, I think in that little slot you mentioned there, Brett, uh, they'll do a rejig of the draw and make yeah. sure Moana Pacifica uh, squeeze in a game in their buy round somehow uh, to catch up one of the games. And I mean, they might just have to play a Tuesday, uh, Sunday fixture, mm. and then have the long break, Harry, to the, the next weekend or beforehand. Play Friday, mm. Tuesday, Sunday. But with rugby, you've got an opponent, so it not only affects Moana Pacifica, but it affects the opponent as well. And uh, in a tight competition, you don't want to be dropping um, matches or compounding fatigue uh, with scenarios mm. like that. I, I went to the draw thinking that. Yeah, knowing that there was going to be several teams having a bye in each round, I thought this might actually work. But to have them all having a bye at different weeks and then all playing each other in that same three-week window, it's just about the perfect storm of a, of a headache. It's, it's not going to work. There's a little bit more of a development uh, on the New Zealand front um, uh, on, on Tuesday. Uh, Stuff.co.nz is reporting that the teams are now actually going to slowly burst the Queenstown bubble. So the Chiefs, now that they won't play on Sunday, they're actually going to go back to Hamilton 
on Wednesday. Um, and it looks like the other teams are set to follow. So uh, I think the Crusaders will stay down there, but the Blues and the Hurricanes, I think, will leave Queenstown after this weekend, having um, having played down there this week, this weekend coming. So the idea of the Queenstown bubble, I think, was pretty solid, and and the intentions were right. Unfortunately. COVID just followed them into the bubble, didn't it? And and so now that it's in there, there's no real benefit. They might as well get back to their home cities and um and and stay there. I'm not sure if we might see crowds this weekend or not. I, I have to admit, I didn't realise that they were going to close the the doors this this weekend. Just gone, so we were we were left with an empty, cavernous, echoey Forsyth bar in uh, in Dunedin, yeah. and 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 about two dozen blokes with a couple of eskies standing up against the fence in Queenstown, which was <laughs> proper old school. It was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, that's the sort of, um, well, it's such a uh, such a town, Dunedin. I remember going there for a test match and uh, all the talk was about the uh, the Bledisloe test, but the most important thing was the the nude rugby the day before <laughs> in the domain to get there for the nude rugby. So, Harry, you would have played a bit of nude rugby in your time. It would have. Uh, yeah. It was just outstanding. And mm. they had mixed-gender teams, so it was an impressive day. <laughs> keep it. If you're, if you're going to explain your dalliances into nude rugby, keep it clean, Harry, man. <laughs> I think everything is better when you're nude. Yeah, I mean, I, not, the whole not, thing to me is... Not is, the podcast for the record. <laughs> yeah, from, from the waist down. So... You know, the thing is that, you know, I don't know how they're going to do all this fitting in and changing, but I do know that when you see the empty stadiums, you're reminded of how terrible, you know, like the Lions series, mm. how much better would it have been? Even, even the turgid play and the negative this and that, if it comes down to one kick and the stands are full, mm. there's electricity. Yeah. And, you know, we see it in the Six Nations now, how much better is... Uh, the principalities, Twickenham, which is going to ha- happen this weekend, mm. where we we have to have these crowds, and even New Zealand rugby, which is scintillating and exciting, there's something very strange about the echo, you know, when yeah. they're when they're playing. Yeah, it's it's just I don't know. The sooner we can get crowds back, that the better. Certainly. Um, what are we looking forward to in, in in round two? Who who needs to make some adjustments already, Jim? Well, I, I think um, the Reds. Uh, clearly want to uh, make a few adjustments to their attack. Um, they won by 18 points. Happy with their defence. I think the completion rate on defence was about 90%, so they mm. were tackling well. But they, they really didn't nail their uh, uh, attack. Uh, defence, good. Attack, not so good. So uh, they want to make improvements there, definitely. Uh, they expect it's going to be wet again Friday night at Leichhardt Oval. So they've been practising with the with a wet ball this week just to get get in the groove of what they have to do. Um, I, I think uh, they, they had some good dimensions to their game last uh, weekend where they went pick and drive for a while there when they studied the conditions and uh, they adapted pretty quickly. But uh, the Waratahs have really impressed me. I went out to Roma for the trial and uh, they did some really good things. Donaldson and Newsom worked two clever tries on the short side to the right. Um, and after a 90-minute delay, pretty much with the lights out before the game, they, they just snapped into it with a bit of resilience that the, probably the Reds didn't have. So mm-hmm. uh, that, that's important. Uh, work-ons from the Waratahs. 
Izzy Parisi. It's not rugby league. You don't have to hit someone when you're carrying the ball before you pass it. You can pass the ball before you make contact. I hate that. He's got to learn that. Yeah. You die as a winger outside him because you just can't feed his wingers as well as he should. Uh, sure, bump through two blokes and then make a pass. That's, that's not the full package as a rugby player. If he wants to be an international centre, he's got to learn to pass the ball before contact, uh, maybe have a second involvement uh, around his other centre or be involved in uh, support inside. Yeah. Harry, what are you looking forward to? Uh, the clash between uh, Queensland and New South Wales. Mm. Uh, looking forward to whether Jake Gordon can become the intercept king. I think the yeah. Reds throw a, f- a few balls that can be picked off. Um, that'll be interesting. Angus Bell, Mr fiery, belligerent guy. Isn't he going up against uh, Tupo? He will That's be. going to be box office. That'll be, office. Fan- that'll be fantastic. Um, and, and I think, and I really think Angus Bell does a lot more than, than just uh, niggle. I think he's actually a very good player, good hands. Um, I think they're using him as a little, a baby by Ty Furlong with, mm. um, you know, the, the pivot aspect. Well, and um, he's, he threw the, he threw I, the I think the, for, the for Rebels have to, Exactly. I think the Reb, the Rebels need to decide whether they're going to have fun or not. I think they're a very uh, melancholy team. They they hang dog. Um, I'm going to start calling them the rep- repels because they're repelling knowledge right now. <laughs> um, I mean, the things they do with exits is just unspeakably wrong. Um, the force needs to exit too. Yeah. I think the sides and the Australian sides that know how to exit and they exit clean and nice. Yes, you can run it out sometimes, but you know, really be be, be serious with your exits, uh, and that's what I saw from the Waratahs. Ben Donaldson's got the big boot. Yes, um, that really helps for territory. Yeah, no doubt. I'm looking forward to the um, the South Island derby on fr- five 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 thirty on Friday night um, Australian time. Obviously, I'm talking there. The, the New Zealand Friday night game always delivers, and the South Island derby is just going to be absolutely fantastic. So the Highlanders and the uh, and the Crusaders, um, I think that's under the roof as well. And and again, you hope that there can be a crowd for a game like that. It'd, be, it'd just be fantastic. Um, so yeah, really looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing if the Fijian in Drua can can learn from the harsh realities of um, of last week as well. They've got a big test against the Brumbies um, on on Saturday afternoon in Canberra. So a couple of really big games that um, that we're definitely looking forward to. Jim, it's been fantastic to have you on. Thanks so much for for, for joining us. Um, I hope we haven't taken too much out of your golf practice schedule. I'm sure you were holding parts of something like that in the office. So so thanks for sparing us a little bit of time tonight. Um, be sure to check out Jim's offerings whenever they pop up on the Raw. It's just a, it's just a treat to have him writing for the site. Um, thanks so much. Uh, good fun, mate. And, uh, yeah, exciting uh, that the podcast is sprouting life. So uh, great to meet you, Harry. And, uh, Brett, keep up the great work. Good on you, Jim. Thanks. Cheers, Jim. The Raw. Harry, great to have Jim Tucker on the on the pod this week. Um, fantastic insights, and and he's still passionate about the game. I, I love that about Jim. Six Nations this weekend. There's a couple of really intriguing little contests, isn't there? Scotland, France, uh, England, and Wales. Both those games on Sunday, and then Monday Australian time is Ireland and Italy. Italy, of course, are being lined up to be booted out for your mob. Are South Africa getting ready to have their cake and eat it? Yeah, so I do want to point out that Jim, uh, a very astute man, said I was astute. So this is my <laughs> takeaway from 
this oh, that's, week. That's just a. It's not. That's not a question. That's just a statement, <laughs> is it? <laughs> top, top, top man, top man, and and a top rank. Uh, Six Nations, yes. Ah, the tradition of Italy, the wonderful tradition of Italy playing Ireland. I mean, the last time that Italy beat Ireland, I think St. Patrick was was involved. You know, <laughs> he, he came and converted them <laughs> from Rome. Mussolini but, was uh, playing fly. No, I mean the lineout. The lineout calls exactly. <laughs> the lineout calls this week are going to be very easy. It's like. Jesus throws it into Joseph and Joseph gives it to Mary, Jesus, Joseph and Mary. It'll be like Irish fun. It'll be practice game. The tradition is, uh, is absurd. The, the last time the Italians did anything good in Six Nations, it was 2000, it was in February. Uh, Gregor Townsend was, the, was actually playing 10. And Italy beat Scotland, the reigning five nations champ, 34-20. That was the high point. That's it. Everything else has been uh, window dressing. Every now and then they'll spoil something here and there, but it's been since 2015 that they won. So anyone praising the tradition of Italy being involved is really just doing a subterfuge for another argument, which is we want to have a bunny that we beat every time so that no one is afraid of relegation. If we introduce yes. that concept, it's ring fence by having Italy and Italy is, uh, is quite happy to take uh, the cash. But um, no, I think this week is going to be actually a separation week. I think, uh, I think Ireland will beat Italy by 30 or something. I think uh, England will handle Wales because they're bringing back Courtney Laws, just a calm operator, a guy that knows how to hit you, put you into a puddle of pain, but doesn't <laughs> cross the line, get carded. Manu Tuolagi is coming back for his cameo. and He will just smash and bash for two or three games and then go out again. Um, and all Wales can offer is uh, Talupi Falatau, who is coming into a loose trio that's already playing well. So Wales needs help elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So the final one to discuss, I suppose, is the one that maybe is more interesting, which is the French going to Murrayfield. So yeah. there's only been, um, I mean, I think there's been no away win so far, Six Nations, nope. whereas at the same point uh, in 2021, there was three. So this is our first away win. I would think the French probably have too much in the pack with uh, Johnny Gray out for Scotland. Um, most of the real muscle for Scotland's in the back. You have Duhan, who looks like the strongest man in the world. And then you have Darcy Graham, who might be the strongest man in the world. But the pack is not going to handle Willems, uh, Tonio, uh, these bouncers they have in the loose trio. Uh, Waki, I mean, it's a scary sight. So I think maybe French by 20. Um, that's my rundown for the nations. As far as the Springboks going, North are already north. There's 13, 14 players from South Africa playing the Six Nations right now. You could form an actual team from people playing in the Six Nations mm-hmm. that were scooped when they were 20, 21, 23, 16, 17. So it's just a matter of rejoining the diaspora. Uh, South Africa has to decide how do we do that? How do we reunite with our people? Um, and the Six Nations can mock all they want, but they are using South African players right now to yeah. elevate the quality of the competition. So I don't think it's it's pie in the sky. I think it's um, it's a very difficult conversation to have because no one really wants to just boot someone to the curb. I mean, mm. Italy is trying, but... I don't think Italy's getting any better. Maybe I'm wrong. No, they're not. And what's fascinating about it all is that Italy can potentially veto it because they're they're one of they're one of the Six Nation partners. So 
Um, there has to be a unanimous decision. They're not going to vote for it themselves, I wouldn't have thought. But equally, it's not pie in the sky because we know that CVC are very interested in bringing South Africa in because they want to increase the value of their product. So it'll be fascinating to see whether, uh, whether this goes further. I don't think anyone read that statement from Six Nations and thought, oh, okay, oh, all right, then you, it's, it's fine. There's nothing to it. This won't be the last time we'll talk about this. I was, I was going to ask you, Ken said they could do both. Let's save that for another day because I've got, I'm quite sure we will, we will come back to this topic. So, um, but, uh, but it's time to, to probably wrap this up, mate. Super Rugby Pacific Round 2 begins with the South Island Derby in Dunedin, as I mentioned. Really looking forward to that on, uh, on Friday night. That's followed by New South Wales and Queensland in Sydney. Afternoon Rugby is back in Canberra on Saturday with the Brumbies hosting the Fiji in Drua. And that's followed by the Blues and Hurricanes and the Rebels and Force on Saturday night. And uh, and obviously we won't see any rugby on uh, on Sunday now with the, the uh, Chiefs of the Moana Pacifica game already postponed. The curly, hairy man section has survived for another week. Uh, and this is one that we're going to come back to through the season. Um, mate, I'm going to throw a couple of captains at you, captains of, of, of Super Rugby Pacific clubs at you, and I want you to tell me what they'd be doing if they were not pro rugby players. So tell me, what would Tate McDermott from the Queensland Reds be doing if he was not a very good, very quick, nippy halfback? Ah, this is, this is fun. I'm going to imagine Tate McDermott. What is he? I'm going to say that he's a mining guy. He's a safety specialist for a mine. Like he's <laughs> undersurface mining. He looks like someone who would like to be under the surface away from the sun. Uh, he's, on the he's weekends, very, he's like he's a very bird. fair skinned. He would have to be away from the sun. Yeah. I think maybe on the weekends, he's a bird watcher. I think he walks around and just looks at birds. And he's like the kind of guy who would like the food in a striptease club. Like he goes for the food, not for the girls. Next. (laughs) (laughs) Food in a striptease club. Uh, What about Sam Kane from the Chiefs? What would Sam Kane be doing if he was not a hard running, hard tackling, hard pilfering flanker? Ah, oh, goodness. Uh, Sam Kane is he's scary. He's, he's scary. I think he's a, he actually would be a zombie. He would be a professional zombie, um, just going around just uh, zombieing guys. <laughs> and, you know, people were all Zooming. Everyone's like, hey, let's Zoom. He would say, let's Zom. That's what he would say. <laughs> Righto. Now, we kind, of, we kind of know the answer to this because he's already said what he was doing before he was a, a professional rugby player. The Fijian Indrua captain, Namani Nungusa, we know that he was just about ready, getting ready to, to buy a farm or to be a farmer. He'd already bought the farm. He was going to be a farmer. And then suddenly the Indrua got into Super Rugby and now he's a professional flanker. Nah, for me, um, Namani is a bouncer. But he's not like a bouncer that actually has to bounce anyone. He's one of those flirty bouncers that stands outside the club. And all he's doing is having fun. He's having friends. He's a friendly bouncer. I think. And then he has the farm as well on the weekends. <laughs> yeah, no, just for a hobby. Um, and to finish, <laughs> and I reckon you've thought about this long and hard, what would Scott Barrett of the Crusaders be doing if he wasn't <laughs> a lock and a Barrett? Scooter Barrett, is a, he's the head boy. He's a prefect in 1955. He's got a square head. He's got square face. He's got a square mind. 
he um, he just he just pounds you, you know. You come back, he just pounds you in the hallway. He cuts your hair in front of everyone for it's too long. Um, he's just a 1950s bully boy. That's it. Nice. Just pounds you in the hallway. And that is a wrap on episode two of the Raw Rugby Podcast. Um, a massive thanks to Jim Tucker for joining us and, and sharing his insight on matters outside Queensland. And as he said, we'll be back next week to look back on the third weekend of the Six Nations and we'll have a little bit of a glance on competitions uh, on the other, other parts of the world as well, as well as round two of Super Rugby Pacific. You can find both Harry and I on the socials as well, as you know. And don't forget to check out uh, another week of Super Rugby tipping uh, on the raw.com.au on Thursday, where a surprise leader has already emerged. The pod is leaning on more and more platforms now too, so don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast so that next week's episode pops up for you as soon as it goes live. It's the Raw Rugby Podcast with me, Brett McKay, and Harry Jones every week on the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate, the home of all your favourite rugby analysis and opinions. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your ears next week. Come play with us.